0: Amen. You may be seated, church family, and as you are, will you take your copy of God's word and turn to Genesis chapter 10? Uh, we will continue in Genesis this morning uh, through in our series, even though this is Praise and Go Sunday. So, um, for those of you who have been here for several years, uh, you know that every the last uh, Sunday in September, really typically the last weekend in September, uh, we celebrate what the Lord has done over the last 12 months through our mission partnerships, and, and commit ourselves anew to praying and sending and going um, over the course of the next 12 months. Now, because of, uh, the current pandemic, we had to cancel our praise and go dinner. We didn't have our training sessions on Saturday. Um, at the end of the service today, I'll talk to you a little bit about tonight, about how we are still going to, um, uh, hear from some of our missionaries and celebrate what the Lord is doing, um, amongst our partners but today, while I would often uh, take a break from our series and preach a sermon uh, either from the Psalms or from the Gospels or the Epistles that directly uh, address uh, uh, directly address missions um, by the sovereign hand of God, where we are in Genesis does that very well for us, as good as any other passage of Scripture. Could and so we will stay in our series, even though it will have a missions focus today. If you did not pick up one of these on your way in, or for members, if you did not receive one in the mail, or if you just forgot to bring it with you this morning, um, you're going to need this at the end of the service. Now, it's not a requirement; nobody's making you fill anything out. But if you would like to have one and don't currently have one, our ushers are at the back and they have some. And so, if you'll just lift your hand up, uh, they will bring one uh, to you. Even if uh, you are visiting with us, if you've uh, not been here um, for very long and you say, well, I don't know about very much of this. Here's what you could at least do. You could at least commit to praying, right? Even if you'll never darken the door of Nanza River Baptist Church again, you could join us in praying for opportunities to proclaim the gospel uh, to your neighbors and the nations. And so we would encourage you to participate with us here at the end as we make these commitments together uh, as a part of uh, the application to today's sermon. So would you stand with me, please? We're not going to read all of Genesis 10 and um, down through uh, 26 of chapter 11 this morning. So for the sake of time, uh, I just want to read the first verse and the last verse of chapter 10 to set the scene uh, for us. says the word of the Lord. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we pray that you will help us to open our hearts, our minds first to your truth because your word is truth, but also, God, too, that we would open our hearts and minds to the peoples of the world, knowing that today millions of people have no access to the gospel whatsoever. Knowing today, God, that if someone woke wanting to know about the true God who created the world, they would not know who to go and to ask. That thousands of people groups in our world still do not have the Bible in their language. Still do not have missionaries living amongst them. That dozens of cities here in our own country have fewer churches now than they did 10 years ago. We recognize that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we ask, God, that you would send out laborers into your harvest. Help us to go. Let us give generously so that others might as well. Never let us forget to pray that you, the Lord of the harvest, would do the work that only you alone can do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we will consider three different sections of the Genesis account. The first in Genesis 10 is known as the table of nations. This is, as we saw from verse 1 and verse 32, um, the, the description of the descendants of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and how they spread out on, over the earth after the flood. Then we will see a narrative account of the Tower of Babel of the people of earth coming together to make a great name for themselves and the Lord dispersing them and changing their languages. And finally, we will see the descendants of Shem trace down to Abram as God continues to guard a line of faith on the earth. All of this leading us to this conclusion. That while there are still many nations on this earth, there are still many people groups, which most often when the Bible speaks of nations, that is to which it refers, not to geographical borders, although that is sometimes what it means, but most often it is talking about the ethnic peoples of the world that share a language, that share a culture, And while there are still many around this world, thousands of people groups, so many of them unreached today, there is hope for them. We will see here in chapter 10 and chapter 11, this spreading out around the world of the nations, but no hope remains. And today we celebrate that God has provided that hope. And we recognize that he has a task for us to participate in proclaiming that hope to them. So we begin in chapter 10 where the Lord establishes the nations of the earth. As we saw in verses 1 and 32, God reveals to us through the author here in Genesis 10 how the sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth have spread across the face of the known world. Genesis 10, the table of nations, shows the sovereign hand of God in establishing the peoples of the earth. You say, how do we get that from these 32 verses? Because maybe you've read these verses before, maybe in preparation for this sermon, knowing that we would be this week in chapter 10, you know, you've, you've read ahead and you've seen this, or maybe in your own Bible reading as you've read through the book of Genesis, you've, you've hit chapter 10 and you start getting to a lot of names that you don't know how to pronounce and you say, I have no idea why in the world this would be important, Well, we're not going to read every one of these verses this morning. We are going to read a few that help us to get a better picture of it. But let me just summarize this entire chapter, and we take a big picture view of it. As we see the sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth described out through multiple generations, there are several names that obviously jump off the page to us. Names like Canaan and and Egypt, names that that means something even still to us today, whether we uh, understand their place in scripture or just know the current globe. But there is an even bigger picture here contained in chapter 10 in how the author puts this story together for us. If you were to count the descendants here in this passage, in these 32 verses, you would recognize that they number 70. As we have already seen here in our time in Genesis, there are times that numbers mean something in the Scripture. And two of the numbers that most often have meaning in the Scripture are the number seven, just as we have seven days of the week because God created the world. Genesis 1 tells us in seven days, six days, and then resting on the seventh, that is a number of completion. And then when we saw the first genealogy in the Bible... We notice that there were 10 generations and while that very likely skipped from one to another and many of the generations in between would be lost to recorded history, 10 was a complete ancient genealogy. But here we have seven times 10, complete and complete, the Lord working to spread the nations. It is not by accident that we have these 70 nations. Jesus leans on this in in Luke chapter 10 when he sends out the 70 disciples, one for each nation in the ancient table of nations of Genesis chapter 10. So please do not read this as happenstance or just one father fathering another and that person building a people group of his own. This is the hand of God. We know this to be true, as the New Testament affirms it in Acts 17, verse 26, where we read, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This morning, we must acknowledge that God is sovereign over the nations, including our own. It's common during election years, and we see it happening in our time at the moment, a lot of hand-wringing over the future of our own country. This is not um, peculiar only to America. This happens in other countries as, as they go to the polls or as, uh, as their governments change from one to the next. You see a lot of people worrying about what will happen next. You need to understand something. There is nothing any of us could do to extend our nation or the existence of any other nation one day longer than God intends for it to exist upon this earth. I don't care what your vote is or how important you think that vote is come November. Know something. You are not extending the existence of America one day longer than God intended for it to exist. These nations that are listed here in chapter 10 that still exist on the planet today, do so because the sovereign will of God has designed for that to be so. Those that are lost to antiquity that we have no idea who they are, where they were, or who they represent are because that is how God intended it to be. It is God and God alone who guides the nations, sets their boundaries, and how long they will exist. There is no need for us to worry one moment over it because we can't affect it, because it is God who is in control of it. Now, as we'll see here, some of the names here represent people, actual individual people. Some represent people group, ethnic groups, and others, actual distinct nations with borders and boundaries. Many are lost to antiquity, some still represented here on a modern map. Several of these nations appear later in the Old Testament, either as friend or foe to Israel. The biblical author, while listing in verse 1 the sons of Noah as Shem, Ham, and Japheth, he begins with Japheth. The last to be listed is the first to have his sons described, most likely because it is the most inconsequential of the three. We read in verse 2, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The next few verses continue to describe the generations that would come after these. These are those who would be described um, later in verse 5 as the coastland people. These were the seafaring people. We would know them today as the Mediterranean people and even Europeans. Some of these people groups have ties to Greece, Italy, Turkey, as far away as Spain. It should mean something to us that in all likelihood, most of the people represented in this room today are descendants from these people groups, and they are the least consequential in the list. We play the smallest part in the story of redemption, Does Western civilization that comes from the line of Jacob, Japheth. Then we see the descendants of Ham. Look at verse 6. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, as we, if we were to continue to read, we would see other sons and other nations that would come in this line. These people settle in much of the Middle East and Northern Africa. And as we saw last week, during, as we were discussing the curse of Ham and, and his, his son Canaan from Noah, most often these peoples end up as enemies of Israel. The majority of these descendants of Ham concentrate together in what would become the promised land while some as far south as Egypt and other parts of northern Africa. And then there's one who stands out, one who does not settle in the same area as his kin but goes to Mesopotamia. We read in verses 8 through 10 that Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man This means he made a great name for himself. He is the first to have built a kingdom post-flood. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So this is ancient Babylon. Now, not ancient Babylon as we know of ancient Babylon later in Scripture, which is an entire kingdom. But this is the city that predates that kingdom, established here by Nimrod. It's going to be important in a moment when we get to chapter 11 that we know that Babel was established. This would, Babel and Babylon are the same place, that Babel is established by the son, one of the descendants of Ham. Then we see the descendants of Shem. Look at verses 21 and 22, to Shem also the father of the children of Eber. Now, stop for a moment. Eber comes later in the generations, but he is important enough that he gets moved all the way up to the first verse of the introduction of Shem. Keep that in your mind. Shem was the elder brother of Japheth, and to him children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Apakshad, Lud, and Aram. These primarily settled, these people primarily settled in Mesopotamia. So while Nimrod was the one from the descendants of Ham who kind of leaves his people group and and settles in another place. Surrounding him would be the descendants of Shem. And when we get down to verse 25, we read about Eber. Eber To Eber were born two sons, the name of the one with Peleg, for in his day the earth was divided. His name literally means divided. And his brother's name was Joktan, now, the, the Eber is important. He's moved all the way up to that first verse and is mentioned here that he has two different sons. We're given more information about him than anyone else in chapter 10 other than Nimrod. So these are the two most important here in this table of nations because what's going to happen in chapter 11 happens because of them. And so we're told of Eber's two sons. Now, it's important to note that the word Hebrew is derived from the word Eber meaning the Hebrew people come as descendants directly from him. And in his two sons, we're told the days of the earth, uh, in, in the days of his two sons, the earth was divided. Now, if we were to keep reading here in Genesis chapter 10, we would notice that the sons of Peleg are not mentioned. Only the sons of Joktan are mentioned. Later in chapter 11, we will return to Peleg. But just recognize the importance here of what is happening, the one who would, from, from whom the Hebrews would come and the generation following him, there is a divide taken together. These 70 nations represent all of the peoples of the earth. Then something interesting happened. We go from this name after name and people group after people group and and with these varied uh, descriptions of just a few generations stuck in between to, to a fairly peculiar narrative text that seems to not fit in its place because we've already been told in chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, that these were the nations of the earth and that they had spread out across the whole earth. Chapter 11, which begins with the story of the Tower of Babel, seems like it should have happened before chapter 10. In truth, it happens in the middle of chapter 10. It happens during the time of Nimrod. It happens during the time of Eber's two sons where there is this divide. So we take the narrative account and we place it in the middle of what is unfolding here over the course of likely centuries in chapter 10. And we see the narrative text of the Tower of Babel, where mankind attempts to make a great name for themselves. Look at verses 1 through 4. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them, together, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So we see the people on earth begin to progress post-flood and we're not sure, we're not told because again, this is not an exhaustive list, it's an intentional list. We don't know how long after the flood this is. It could very well be that this is century upon centuries after the flood, but at some point, The people had come together here in this plain of Mesopotamia, this area that Nimrod had settled in and have built this city called Babel and now they're going to build this tower as a monument to themselves. Not seeking to exalt God, but intending to exalt themselves. The same temptation that Adam and Eve fell into the garden, that if they ate of the fruit, they could become like God. That is the same temptation of the people of Babel. These ancient people desired to make a name for themselves instead of making a name for their God. And because their culture had progressed to the point of understanding how to build large structures, which is why it tells us that they understood now how to make bricks and mortar, they were able to build something beyond just one or two stories. And so they began to build this ancient tower. Now, as a child, I always pictured this thing... (laughs) Just, I would hear this story, and I would, I would picture modern-day skyscrapers you know, reaching into the clouds and, and just how large this was. This most likely had an ancient pyramid-type form to it. it. It would be considered relatively small, most likely, in modern understandings of towers. But for ancient times, this was likely the largest building to have ever been built in that day, and they wanted one central place where man could be exalted. But the Lord sees this and curses it, comes and confuses and disperses the nations. Look at verses nine through, or five through nine. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, there are one people and they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So while chapter 10 tells us how the people were dispersed over the face of the earth, chapter 11 tells us why. Because the people had sought to exalt themselves and God puts a stop to it. there's an interesting phrase here in this text. Verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city. You may wonder, why does the Lord have to come down to see this city? Is is the Lord so far away that he can't see? Is the Lord so detached from his creation that that he just periodically checks in and and even has to come down to see it? No, that's not what the author is saying. The the biblical author is in in no way insinuating to us that, that somehow God did not know what was going on or that God didn't know before they even started it that they were going to attempt to do so. God knew that before the foundation of the earth. God saw in great detail every single human that took part of this and knew them by name before they existed. So why say it like this? Why paint this picture for us? Because if we read this in in, in what we know to be true about God, it changes our perspective of what is actually happening. You see, from a human perspective, this is a great tower. From a human's perspective, this is likely the largest building in all of antiquity. And in human perspective, this is a great monument to mankind. But from God's perspective... It's almost as if he has to get down on his hands and knees with a magnifying glass and look really close just to see it. Because compared to God, this building's nothing. Compared to God, this is no tower. If you've ever wondered, well, if if that was the case back then, why doesn't God do that same thing today? Because we have these huge towers that people put their names on now and draw great attention to them. Because here's what we know: that there's nothing to these towers. No matter how big they get, no matter how, how, how majestic they may seem from our small vantage point here on this earth, for God in all of his majesty, it's as if he doesn't even see it, even though we know he does. And so what does God do? God says th- that they will continue to come together. And, and it's not that God was worried about them coming together. He was worried about why they were coming together. This is why it says now nothing will be impossible to them because the, their heart was set on exalting themselves. And so we see a curse here at Babel that God confuses their language, disperses them amongst the earth. This happens over the course of the generations of, that are recorded in Genesis chapter 10. And they leave off building this city, which would be called Babel, which will play a very important role throughout the story of redemption that God tells here in the Old Testament and even in times to come. Now, we've established a pattern over the, over the last um, several weeks in Genesis. Sin, judgment, and grace. Remember this? We would, we would see um, someone sin or a people sin, we would see the judgment of God, and then we would see God offer grace. The first time we see this pattern is in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve uh, eat of the fruit that God had told them not to eat of. And God judges their sin by removing them out of the garden and telling them that they will now surely die, but then offering grace through Eve that one day a descendant of hers would crush the head of the serpent. We saw this in the, the times of the people of, of Noah, or even in the descendants of of Adam and Eve with Cain and Abel and Seth we see this in uh, in the time of Noah and then we see it afterwards with Noah's sons and how God judges sin but then offers grace. But if we stop reading here if we just take this narrative which is why I wanted to preach all three of these accounts together because if we just consider the tower of babel we break that cycle you notice what happens here in the beginning of chapter 11 there is great sin right there is the desire of mankind to exalt himself there is great judgment that god confuses their language and disperses them across the face of the earth but there is no grace if all we consider is the narrative here of the tower of babel then that pattern is broken but the pattern should not be broken We should not think that God is not going to offer grace here after Babel. He does. But we have to look for it. We have to understand where to find it. And we actually find it in a different type of literature. Because what follows in chapter 11 after the story of the Tower of Babel is another genealogy. In this case, the genealogy of Shem. Now we've already had the first half of this genealogy. In chapter 10, we have these same people already mentioned until we get to Eber and his two sons. And in their day, the earth was divided. And not only was the earth divided in their day, but the line of Shem was divided in their day. And in chapter 10, it was through Joktan we see the nations established. But here in chapter 11, the continued line of faith where we see the Lord preserving the line of faith through Shem, it passes on from Eber to his son Peleg on down. Look at, verses, look at verse 10 of chapter 11. Then these are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Aparxad two years after the flood and so then it begins, and we go down to verse 16. When Eber lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. So we now see this divide happen and this line of faith, which we trace all the way back to Adam, right? Adam through Seth, which leads us to Noah and Noah through Shem. Now this led us to Peleg. Oh, but that's not where it ends. See, that Peleg is only halfway through this genealogical account, when we get to the end of it in verse 26, we see that great nations will come, Great, great uh, grace will come for the nations through this line. Verse 26 tells us that when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Tenth from Shem comes Abram. We'll one day call this man Abraham. You say, how do we know when we read here in Genesis 11 that this is the grace of Babylon? How do we know that this is the grace of the tower? How do we know that God is is offering grace here after this great sin and judgment of that narrative text? We know this because of the promise that God makes to Abram in the beginning of chapter 12. Now, we'll see this in detail next week, but just look with me in verse 3 of Genesis 12. God tells Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now what's chapter 10? Chapter 10 is all the families of the earth. What's chapter 11? It's the description of of how they are, why they are spread out over the earth. And then this remnant remains, this line of faith remains where God will promise that through Abram, all of those families of Genesis 10 will one day be blessed. All of those people who were spread out after the Tower of Babel find their grace begun in Abraham. And here's the truth. You want to know where the grace of Babel is? It is in the rest of the Bible. The entirety of Scripture leads to the grace of Babel. What we begin to see in Genesis 12 is the slow undoing of Babel. That God has spread all of the people out. He's confused their languages. They've gone into their own cultures. They've gone into their false God worship. But God retains this one line of faith. And through that one line of faith, eventually all of the peoples of the world would be blessed. It will take some time. It, it's going to require some doing and, 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 and there'll, be, there'll be highs as we saw last week. There's going to be great highs and great lows in the story of Genesis and beyond through the story of God's people in the Old Testament ultimately leading to Jesus where Genesis 12.3 finds its fulfillment where finally we can say that all of the families of the earth find blessing in Jesus. So what? We must proclaim the hope of the gospel to the nations as the Lord reverses the judgment of Babel through Jesus Christ. Church family is, now you know, today is the day that we recognize our part that we as a church play in taking the gospel to the nations. Where we together as a congregation say, we are a part of what God is doing. And so this is for you, Christian. This is for you, Nansman River Baptist Church, this morning. We must recognize that it is an imperative for us to proclaim the hope of the gospel to people who are far off from God. That through Jesus Christ, all of the families of the earth are blessed. But we are those who have that good news of hope, and that we are tasked by our Savior to carry that hope to them. We believe this so much that we put it on our wall. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is laid out further in a plan of attack in Acts 1.8, right before Jesus ascends to the Father. Luke records what Jesus says in this way. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Here's what Jesus instructs his disciples at the very end of his ministry. After he's been crucified and raised from the dead, after he spends just a little time with them still on earth, he now sets them on mission. And that mission isn't to just try to be the best you that you can be. That mission isn't to, to try to be a nice person or a, a good person or a generous person. The mission that, God, that Jesus clearly lays out for his disciples, that his disciples pass to the church, which has been the mission of the church for 2,000 years, is to make disciples. And to make disciples not just in our own homes, even though it starts there. And not just to make disciples in our own city, even though it started there for these disciples in Jerusalem, but to eventually make disciples around the globe. You see, there are not some Christians called to home missions, and some Christians called to global mission, excuse me, global missions, and some Christians called to reaching people in their city, and some people called to reaching people in hard places. We are all called to reach people in all places. Acts 1-8 is a strategy for every church that truly exists to make disciples throughout Christian history. We have the responsibility to reach people in our own Jerusalem, in our own Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the plan for the church And right after Jesus tells his disciples this in Acts chapter 1, he ascends to the Father, they go into the upper room, they begin to pray, they're there for some time, and then the promised Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost into that room. And here's what we see happen. The disciples now bold, the disciples now full of the Spirit, go out in the streets. And they go out in the streets, Acts 2 tells us, during a time of festival, when people, verse five says that, that dwelling in Jerusalem were devout men from every nation under heaven. So right, all of Genesis 10 is represented by somebody in Acts two. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So the disciples come out of the upper room full of the Holy Spirit and they're proclaiming the gospel and everybody there in Jerusalem could hear them proclaiming the gospel in their own language. And they, Peter steps up and boldly proclaims that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone and people representing all of the nations of the earth hear this there in Jerusalem. And after he proclaims this, this is what they say to them at the end of Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 37. They say, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You want to see the grace of Genesis 11? It's in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the curse of Babel is completely undone. In Acts chapter 2, that slow unwinding of the curse of Babel through Abraham and, and his seeds and Isaac and Jacob and the people of Israel leading to Jesus is completely undone on the day of Pentecost as the disciples proclaim in languages they did not understand the gospel to people who did understand it and received it and 3,000 were saved in that one day and we continue to embrace this unraveling of the curse of Babel as the church of God takes serious the mission of making disciples locally and globally all longing for the day all longing for the day where we will see what Revelation 7 promises, where John looks and sees a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation seven tells us the end result. Acts two is the fulfillment of the grace of Babel, but it continues through today. And Revelation seven promises us that we will be successful in this mission. I can't promise you that you'll be successful in anything else in life. The Bible doesn't promise you that. It doesn't promise you're gonna be successful in business or education. The Bible doesn't promise you success in any of that. But here's what the Bible does promise you success in. The mission of God. Because there will be people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue praising God, crying glory to God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Those people exist because the mission of God will succeed. So here's the question for us, River. How will we participate in it? how will we participate? What part will we play? Here's what we recognize. And and we recognize this same thing every year. There are other churches in our area and other churches uh, in our nation and globally who have far more resources than we do. There are other churches locally and globally who have far more gifted people than, than we do who will likely send more people to the nations, who will likely give larger gifts to to missions offerings, who who will likely be able to have have, have way more partnerships than we could ever dream to imagine here in this one moment. But we can't look at big churches in our own community or big churches in our world and say the global mission of God is their responsibility because they're big and they've got all the resources and all the people and all the money we're going to put it on them to go and do oh no Nansen river it's on us it's on us it's our responsibility to go with the gospel it's our responsibility to give sacrificially it's our responsibility to wear ourselves out in prayer that god would continue to save that he would continue to send and that we would continue to go that is our responsibility So how will we do that? Well, we have, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and our church is how God has worked. We have four partnerships that we work through. This last year has been incredibly frustrating to so many of us because of the global pandemic. And likely the most frustrating part of this for me is knowing that this day was coming and I was going to stand before you and say that we've not sent a single mission team this year. I've never had to stand up here and say that before. Normally, we get to say things like we've sent over a dozen or as many as 15 mission teams in the last year, but the last mission team we sent from this church was last December. We sent two last December, and then the global pandemic hit, and we were unable to go even to places nearby to us, but listen, church, I want you to hear me clearly. There is no pandemic that could thwart the mission of God for his church. And we will go. Now we'll figure out how to go safely. We're gonna figure out the best way to go and we've already tasked the mission team leaders that we have to figure out how to do this. How, how, how How do we get people there? How do we continue to help? But don't think just because we haven't filled Church vans, and we haven't put people on airplanes that we're not still playing our part. Because, see, going's only one part of what we do. And surely you haven't stopped praying just because there's a pandemic. Surely you haven't stopped asking God to bless Redemption Heights in Philly and surely you haven't stopped asking God to empower the L family to to be our representatives there in sub-Saharan Africa is the best they could. Surely you haven't you stopped praying for Marissa on the eastern shore. She does the very best she can to reach out during this time uh, to those migrant workers. Surely you haven't stopped praying for these people who would be on the Appalachian Trail even today seeking something that somebody along the way would tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Surely you haven't thought because we're not sending teams that we don't need to give. That hasn't crossed your mind, has it? Because here's what we recognize. Put, Barry, put the, the missions offering on the screen. Do we have that? This is going to be for the next 12, 12 months. It's going to be the breakdown. It's also in the connector for you. Um, but we, we've changed this a little bit this year, some of the, some of the ways that we're dividing this money because we, we have been taking in our missions offering. and We've not been sending teams, so we don't need as much money to send teams to Africa or the Eastern Shore or the Appalachian Trail, so we've increased some of our others, but recognize this, the majority of our global missions offering doesn't help us do anything. The majority of our global missions offering goes to international missionaries that we'll never know. It goes to North American church plants that we'll never be a part of. So surely we haven't stopped giving because we say, well, you know, we're not sending teams to Africa and we're not going to the Appalachian Trail, so I don't need to give to that anymore. That hasn't crossed your mind, has it? Because listen, if it has, you need to understand something. There are going to be missionaries and church plants that don't get to do what God has called them to do because we stopped giving. We can't stop praying. We can't stop giving. And folks, as we figure out how we're going to go over the course of the coming months, we need people that will say, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to go because there are still peoples of the world who have not heard that hope is there for them. So here's how we respond. We do this every year and and I'm going to be honest with you. Um, Up until this week, I I had intended to do this differently. I really had. We were still going to do the cards. We were going to do this differently and then I said, you know what, I, I can't, I can't uh, give the kind of impassioned plea that I was going to give uh, and, and then say, but because of the pandemic, we're changing the way that we uh, express this commitment corporately. So we're still going to bring these down front. Uh, and here's why. There's nothing special about this metal and wood and carpet. I intentionally never call this an altar because I don't believe it is one. It's a platform. It's raised so you can see me. But every year on the last Sunday of September, we fill these cards out together as a congregation and we bring them down front together and we lay them out front together because here's what we're saying. I don't go by myself. I don't pray by myself. You don't give by yourself. We do this together. That corporately, the church of God that is Nansman River Baptist Church recognizes the mission that God has set before us to proclaim the gospel to the nations and we do that together. So if this is new for you, here's how we do this. This card actually tears apart. We do that intentionally because we want to know who's filling out the top part, but we don't wanna know who's filling out the bottom part. Top part has a name, contact information, the bottom part doesn't. You answer those questions as best you can understanding that the Lord wants all people to know and worship him. Here's how I'll pray. Understanding that people must actively go with the gospel. Here's how I am willing to go, or at least I'm interested in going over the course of the next 12 months. And then here at the bottom, understanding that it takes financial resources to send people. I'll pledge to do one of two things. Either give a monthly gift to the Pray, and Go missions offering above my regular givings to the church or over the course of the next year, give a one-time gift and you make that commitment. And then here's what we do together. We respond and we bring them down. Not to say, oh, look at us, but to say, look at us together. Now, if you're new with us again, don't feel pressured to have to do something. You're, you're fine to stay in your seat. Some of our members will stay in their seats because they can't walk down here. And if you can't, you can bring your, you can bring your cards and just drop them at the offering bucket in the back. But for those who are physically able to do so and would like to, here in a moment as we stand and sing, we want you to bring and spread those cards out over, the, over, the, over this uh, platform, and then our uh, elder will come, one of our elders will come to pray, and they're gonna pray specifically for these commitments that we make together, saying over the next 12 months, here's how we're going to pray, here's how we're going to send, and here's how we're going to go as Nansman River Baptist Church. I am gonna ask you to do two things, though. Because while I still want you to come forward, we are still in the midst of a global pandemic. So as you come, if you have your mask, put it on. And come down the middle aisles and go back to your seats down the edges. All right? So you'll come down, you'll put your card, you'll go wide, and if you're in one of these sections, it means you'll go around back and then find your seat. All right? That keeps us from passing each other in the aisle. I'm doing my very best, okay? Okay? with us still being able to do this. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. If you need to fill out your card, fill out your card. And then we'll make these commitments together. Lord God, we recognize that this is a difficult year. And our minds are on so many other things that maybe we've forgotten. Maybe we've forgotten that we have thousands of missionaries that we support around the globe. We have hundreds of North American church plants. Maybe we've forgotten that we have the Elf family, that we have our Philly church plant team, that we have places that we go and people that we partner with. Lord, I pray they don't feel forgotten. I pray they know we love them. And I pray, God, that they know that we are in this with them, that together we pray, we send, and we go. Will you help us, God, to renew in our hearts this call to make disciples amongst the nations. We long for Revelation 7, the day that we see what John saw, people from everywhere, from every family of the earth, proclaiming the, the glory of our God, the majesty of his son, Jesus. Until that day, we participate. Until that day, we answer the call. Until that day, God, let us be your laborers in your field that is white for the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. So as our worship team leads us in a song, I'm going to invite you to come forward if you would like, place your cards at the, uh, on the platform, and then return back to your seats.